0: And Welcome to mini episode 53 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do. I just want to point out that these episodes are very quickly becoming non-mini episodes (laughs) because they're just getting longer and longer. We just have lots of stories. I'm trying to include more in each episode. There we are. That's why they're getting longer. I really think they should no longer be known as mini episodes, but we're not changing the name. So the mini is ironic now. So I've got five lovely listener stories for you today oh no story number one comes from jr many strange and unexplained things happened when my mother my sister and I came to live with my grandparents after my parents divorced but by far the most peculiar was the first incident that occurred when I was only six years old I remember playing in my grandparents living room with my grandmother my aunt and my uncle my aunt was pregnant at the time which is how I remember exactly how old I was when this incident took place. There was a very old and large sliding glass door in my grandparents' living room and I remember looking outside and seeing the silhouette of a boy about my age swaying back and forth almost like he was hopping in place from foot to foot. I could not make out his features because the sun was going down and it was getting dark outside. I just remember seeing him next to an old tree stump that I constantly played on. Nothing really struck me as odd about the little boy, except that my grandparents' yard was surrounded by a chain fence, and I thought it was a little weird that he would just come into our yard like that. I seemed to be the only one that had noticed this little boy, and when I told my grandmother about him, she immediately looked at him, screamed, and urged my uncle to close the curtains. I remember thinking this was odd, but I was only 6 years old, so I just let it pass. Fast forward around 10 years. I was 16 now and had been out way past my curfew, and was attempting to sneak back into the house. I'd made it all the way to my bedroom, and was feeling pretty good about my chances of avoiding any kind of punishment, when I noticed my stepdad's dog was sitting against my bedroom door, peering into my mom and stepdad's bedroom. This was very odd, since that dog never left my stepdad's side. He wasn't growling or anything like you see in the horror movies, he was just staring into the room with an almost nervous look. I decided to creep towards their bedroom, to see what he was looking at, when I saw the figure of a rather large man standing over their bed just staring down at them. He also appeared like a silhouette, much like the boy from years back, but his features were somehow off. It's hard to describe, but he wasn't shaped like a normal person. His features were almost jagged and pointy. A feeling of dread came over me like I knew this wasn't an intruder, but rather some creature that appeared to be looking for something. I ran back to my room and opened the door, and our dog quickly followed suit. I remember feeling like a coward and being worried about my mom and my stepdad, so I mustered the courage to go back out to their room, but the figure was no longer there. I told my older sister about this, and she and I shared several odd experiences we had had throughout the years living in my grandparents' house. Looking back years later on the little boy that appeared to be swaying back and forth in the yard that day, I now firmly believe that he wasn't hopping back and forth, but rather he was swinging, as though he was on the end of a rope where he had been hanged. That thought gives me chills, since I have such good memories of playing on that tree stump. To think that it might have been used for such sinister actions really messes with me to this day.
1: Nope. (laughs) This has got my nightmare fuel in it, hasn't it? Little kid ghost. Animals behaving badly. Not badly, strangely. But I don't know what behaving badly is. Animals
0: behaving badly was definitely a TV show in the (laughs)
1: 90s. (laughs) I'm in my 90s brain at the moment. I'm feeling very philosophical today, so I'm hoping that you will... Bear with me a second. Because I found it it's fascinating, isn't it, that when he saw the little kid in the garden as a kid himself, his only thought was, well, why is he in my grandparents' garden? Not oh this is odd.
0: Or this is scary, or this, or this is, is spooky. Scary.
1: I wonder if I want this made me wonder two things, and that is at what point in our lives do we become aware of Things being not quite right, so do we? And and are there any? Have we had any stories? Because I can't remember where the child has realised that something's not right with what they're seeing. I guess we had the the little boy that was shooting the thing for his sister a couple of episodes ago, didn't he?
0: That was his aunt, but he. Oh, I don't think he. I don't think he realised. Like he never said it was spooky. He just said, "I'm shooting at the man." Yeah, that's true. But I guess you know, as a six-year-old or whatever age. They just are more accepting of things, and they're just going. Oh, weird! There's a boy in the garden. Yeah. They're not like, oh shit! There's a boy in the garden. That's weird. It's obviously a ghost. They just accept it. I just wonder
1: when you get. I mean, do you have to be told about ghosts before you realise that before ghosts become your part of your psyche, or do you? Is there? Do you intuitively know? At a certain point, your instincts raise to where you go. Oh, that's not quite right. Because kids do get danger, don't they? Without being taught, to a point.
0: I think, is it scientifically, there's two things you're born frightened of, and that's loud noises and sudden drops? I might be ah, making that yeah, up, Yeah,
1: no, it's something like that, and yeah. that would make sense, because a ghost is neither of those. Unless every, the ghost makes loads of noise and picks you up and throws you on the floor.
0: And everything else is a learned fear. <laughs> okay, You, you interesting. learn, like, you touch a hot radiator and you learn, oh, shit, that's hot.
1: Get possessed by a demon, learn Oh, oh shit, demons ghosts. are bad, yeah. yeah.
0: Gotcha. And our second story today comes from Tony. When my family lived with our very Catholic grandmother in California, my two sisters often talked about a little girl who lived in the hallway ceiling. They would often have long conversations with this girl who no one else could see. One of my sisters is deaf, and my mother would walk in and find her signing to no one. When asked who they were talking to, my sisters would say Sally. Other than that, nothing really happened and my parents and grandmother chalked it up to an imaginary friend who my sisters had made up. As they grew up, eventually Sally disappeared, and no one ever talked about her until my sister's daughter was born. We were visiting my grandmother at her house, and my niece was sitting in the spare room playing and talking to the ceiling. When I asked who she was talking to, she said Sally. No one had ever told her about this little girl. I prodded her for more information and after a few days she finally said that Sally was in the ceiling because she was hiding from her father. I didn't understand anything about it and my sister and I were very concerned that she had said this. We went down to the library and found out that my grandmother's house was one of the first houses built in the neighbourhood after it had been nothing but orchards for years before. There had only been one previous owner of the house before my grandparents bought it in 1965. We found out that the man who built the house had two children. One of them was named Sally. There was no information other than that, but we believed that the owner had done something to the kids. After that, no one has seen Sally or even heard anything in the house. Although I still hate going in there to this day. My other story is from when I was 10 years old. My family moved to Tucson, Arizona. we had moved to a small house where my two older sisters and myself would have to share a room. My brother had the room directly across from us. The moment we stepped inside the house, my sister who was deaf and I didn't like the house. Something was off of the house and made us both feel like we couldn't breathe. We went to investigate the house and find our rooms. We found our room, And when we went inside, we saw that we had a walk-in closet. The closet shelves looked like stairs inside, and there was a small crawl-space door that was nailed shut. My brother and sister wanted to know what was inside, even though my mom told us not to mess with it. My brother found a drill gun and proceeded to take out the nails that were inside the door. Once he opened it, he said he felt a gust of wind emerge from the opening and he fell to the floor. He didn't want to mess with the opening and left the crawlspace door open. Later that night we were all in our room. My brother had decided to spend the night with us since none of our beds had arrived yet. We made pallets on the floor and were listening to my eldest sister read to us Harry Potter from a flashlight since our parents had thought we were all gone to bed. Suddenly the light inside the closed closet came on. We immediately looked over and saw the closet door swing open and saw a dark black shadow form on the ground. It was large, and slithered along the ground, slowly making its way over to where we were. We were all frozen in fear, not moving until finally the black shadow seemed to grab at my brother's leg and yank him off the blankets. It was only a few seconds, but when my brother was able to get up he had distinct red marks on his ankle like someone had grabbed him. Of course my parents said there was nothing and that we had all been making it up. After that we made sure never to open the closet again. We placed our dresser in front of it and it seemed to help and we never really saw anything in that room again. Now we had only lived in the house for a short time when I was allowed to stay up late and watch a movie with my dad in the living room. I can't remember what we were watching but I remember signing to my sister all of the lines in the movie since the captions on the TV were horrible and she was getting confused. Suddenly I had the urge to look over to the kitchen. I turned and I could see a woman dressed all in white. She looked real, almost like someone out of an Old West film. We lived relatively close to Tombstone, where they filmed all sorts of Western films, so I was familiar with the garb that she wore. She looked at me for a moment before she opened her mouth. She looked like she was screaming, before picking up her dress and running out the back door. I immediately ran to my dad and told him what I saw. He stared at me for a moment, and then said, ''You saw her too?'' He then proceeded to tell me how he had seen the woman in the kitchen a bunch of times since we had moved in, but didn't want to scare anyone. After that I saw her a bunch of times, and it didn't really bother me to see her anymore. We moved out of the house after two years and it was the biggest weight off my shoulders when we did.
1: Yeah, no no doubt. No doubt. All that stuff going on. I the shadows trying to take you from your bed. Lady in a white dress.
0: And screaming. It's and the screaming, vision of yeah. her standing like silently screaming. Yeah. traumatises me.
1: Kind of like... Tiny bims when she wants food but can't quite get the voice the first time. Yeah,
0: it's very that's also very traumatizing.
1: (laughs) No, I I'm not trying to minimise the scare here at all. That is not something I would want to live through. I'd imagine that it was a very heavy time and that that weight was definitely lifted when you when you left. And also, let's talk about Sally. Yet another multi generational ghost.
0: How many stories have we had where children and then the next generation of children see the same ghost what the heck
1: yeah but that's i think that's the most i think that's in many ways the most kind of enduring evidence that we get because i just there's there doesn't seem to be like for many most a lot of the things that we get there might be a sort of logical explanation I, I mean those logical explanations are wrong as far as i'm concerned but there might be a logical explanation When you get something like this where it's one generation referring to the ghost by one name and then a new generation that have got no prior knowledge of that referring to the same imaginary thing by that name and then you go and look in the records and there is a little girl that lived in... That is just amazing evidence as far as I'm concerned.
0: The reality is that scientists, you know, the world's big thinkers politicians everybody they need to get kids in to make big decisions they need to get kids in (laughs) to figure out science to figure out policy to figure out how to end hunger and homelessness get the kids in they get it they get the world they see the world differently they'll have like kooky ideas that just might work
1: i mean i wasn't quite going that far i did i went that
0: far (laughs) And our third story today comes from Josh and Jacob. Now, the reason this is from two people is because Jacob was living with Josh at the time and told Josh the story and Josh was like, you need to write that down so I can send it in to Real Life Stories. So that's why there's two people who have um, sent in this story. My story takes place about four years ago in the spring of 2016. I was in my third year at my university a small private Christian college in South Carolina. Being a small Christian university there were a lot of common interests shared by the students throughout the school like hiking, hammocking and camping. One day a close friend and I decided we would head out into the woods and find a spot that we could claim as our own campsite. We walked down a trail, broke off into a clearing and passed a tall leaning tree and went into a dense area of trees that eventually led to another small clearing at the top of a hill. There was a rock at the edge of the hill that overlooked a steep decline back into the dense woods. To get a sense of where we were, the school is about a quarter mile off the road. Behind that are school-owned apartments, behind those a small open field, and then the woods. The woods led down to a railroad, which sits just a few yards away from a broad river. Across the river are a few fields, farmland, and most notably, a prison. Our chosen campsite sat past the apartments, to the right and into the woods a few hundred yards. My friend and I started to make our camp. We began regular visits to our site, chopping down small trees, making a fire pit of stones we found lying around. We also made a lean-to with sticks up against the tree that we bent into the ground at an angle, being held down by a large stone. I remember it was one of two stones that were very heavy. It took both of us to move. They had to be over £100 each. We used the other stone as a seat near the fire. As we wandered around collecting things for our site, we found an old circle of stones, seemingly used as a fire pit. The circle of stones had a partially burned wooden chair in the middle. I wondered why someone would burn a chair but figuring it was trash, I took it. Besides, only the comfortable seat portion was missing, and I figured I could still use it to sit on around the fire. Thinking back now, I remember the seat had weird markings on it, like with a permanent marker. I never thought much about it, nor did I ever take a closer look, which I now regret. We also found a large plastic blue water jug, like the ones from a water cooler. My friend thought we could use it to make a camp shower, which he was definitely more excited about than I was. Fast forward a few days, and our campsite was up and running. We had officially stayed the night for the first time. The lean-to was even and upright, the fire pit was roaring, the empty jug was just sort of there. We were making pancakes over the fire. The weather was great and everything was normal. It was the perfect spot. That was until the next time we stayed there. We made our way out to our spot, past the field, taken a right into the woods, past the clearing, a left at the tall leaning tree, into the dense woods following the axe marked trees to our small clearing. It was a group of three, my close friend, another friend, and myself. We had a fun night of conversation, singing, laughing, and dancing around the fire into the night. It was late, so we put out our fire and each climbed into our own hammocks in a triangular position, and around the fire we fell asleep. Later that night was when I heard the rustle of footsteps. I immediately woke up and realised it was still the middle of the night, and I think, who is up right now? So I peered out over my hammock, and in the night I could still see the shadows of my friends' hammocks, clearly still occupied they were asleep so who the hell was walking around the steps continued slowly circling around our campsite this was one of the few moments in life where I felt true fear my blood ran cold and I suddenly felt like someone or something was watching me I didn't move either I couldn't move or I wouldn't and it was probably both I listened to the rustling around our campsite. I immediately tried to think of anything it could be. I hoped it was a squirrel, but the steps weren't quick and small like a squirrel. These steps seemed to be deliberate and slow. A few times in college a prisoner had escaped the prison and crossed the river, so our school went on lockdown. Maybe a prisoner escaped and stumbled upon us. The thought terrified me. The rustling stopped and I somehow eventually fell asleep. I woke up the next morning and everything seemed normal enough. I don't remember if I asked my friends if they heard the footsteps. I'm sure I did but I guess they didn't or if they did I don't remember. I gathered my things and we headed out planning our next camp. I don't remember if it was the next night or the night after that we went back but I will never forget what we saw on our next trip out. This time it was just my close friend and I. We headed out late afternoon and it was almost dusk. We started our familiar walk past the apartments, past the field, we took a right into the woods, down the trail to the clearing. We take a left past the tall leaning tree and into the dense woods. We follow our axe marked trees and almost make it to the clearing when we see it the chair hanging on a tree or at least part of it was it was only half of the chair like it was smashed or broken in half the strangest thing was that it was up way up in the tree it was easily 40 feet up and not just thrown up it was hanging on a limb like it was placed there it was a tall thin tree like a pine so it would have been hard to climb in the first place So how did it get up there? The strangest thing about this chair is that it wasn't hanging at an angle. It was hanging upright, in the same orientation as if it was sitting on the ground. And then we saw the rest of our campsite. It was completely destroyed. At first I thought some other students were messing with us, but on a closer look it seemed that whoever did this was angry, like they were trying to send us a message. The water cooler was thrown a hundred feet or more away, our fire pit was completely disassembled. All of our sticks from the lean-to were strangely perfectly laid back on the ground and the tree was no longer bent. I didn't even see the two heavy stones at first, they were maybe fifty feet away like they were thrown. But how? Those things were heavy enough with two people carrying it. Then I looked down and I saw something that sent chills down my spine. The message they were sending was clear. All of the stones that made up our fire pit, along with some sticks, were right at my feet. I felt my blood grow cold like it did the night I heard the shuffling footsteps when I knelt down and realised that the rocks and the sticks spelled out the words Never Come Back. You could sense the malice in the air. Why would someone spend so much time and energy moving those heavy rocks, smashing the chair in half, somehow placing it on the limb of a thin tree 40 feet in the air and laying all of the sticks from a lean-to back on the ground perfectly side by side? And it's not like the sticks from the lean-to were thrown about or knocked over, but were laying exactly as they were when they were up against the tree. And that's when I remembered the steps that I'd heard on our last night there. Maybe whomever those footsteps belonged to was responsible for this. Maybe we were being watched the whole time. And I got the sense that I was being watched in that moment. Apparently whoever was watching didn't want us there. We didn't stick around to investigate. We booked it out of the woods and after some time had passed, sort of shrugged the experience as someone messing with us or someone trying to protect their property. But the question of why it was done in that manner still bugged me and I couldn't get past how angry they seemed. Many months after this incident, I was hanging around a fire with a lot of people from school at a friend's house. We started to tell stories about strange things that have happened around campus. I hear from other students whose parents are professors at this school about stories of cursed voodoo items like masks, artwork and wooden keepsakes that had been brought into our school gathered from mission trips from around the world. They sat in glass shelves in the bottom floor of one of our classroom buildings. These items spooked so many people in the school that some of our professors even believed them to be possessed. They took certain items and blessed them to expel any dark forces residing in them. But if there were dark forces to be exercised, then where did they go? A student whose father is a professor at the school told a story of something dark that lay just beyond the property line of the school. He recounted finding trees with pentagrams painted on them and he told of finding markings around altars burned into the woods. And that's when I remembered our experience in the woods. I asked where in the woods these stories came from and he said, ''Oh, it's like past the school apartments into the woods way off to the right somewhere.'' I can still remember how I felt when he said that, pointing out the general direction of our lost campsite. Had we overstepped our bounds into the woods and made a campsite in a place inhabited by evil? Was that chair we found actually burnt in a campfire, or was it really some sort of altar that we stole? Were those markings on the chair the same markings I was hearing of on trees which are in the same general area that we camped? Is that why the chair was broken with such malice and hung high on a tree to send a message? We did go back. Of course we did, but not for a long time. The next year, our last year at school, we decided to go back. We took the very same trail, to the open field and past the tall, leaning tree, and made our way until we saw the chair hanging from a distance. It was still there. We walked up to the site and find it all very overgrown but seemingly untouched. And you could barely make out the stones that spelled out the message warning to never come back. As I looked up at the chair hanging silently in the tree an eerie feeling rose within me again. Who did this and how? I would probably never know what happened. But I still get chills when I think of the broken chair probably still hanging in that tree. The message in the ground warning us to never come back. And the terrifying last night I spent there with the slow, deliberate footsteps circling where I slept. And I can't help but thinking, was I really just feet away from something evil in the woods?
1: What is going on there? It doesn't, it like... You know, if, if you woke up or you turned back, went back to your camp and it was wrecked, and the wreckage was chaotic, you could just say, like, it's a moose or a bear... animals
0: or somebody was really annoyed that we were camping in the forest and wanted to teach us a lesson i would you know totally all of those things are conceivable
1: there's just a weird controlled chaos about this like there's bits of it that are like pure rage and then there's things like lining all the sticks up in a row from the lean to i don't know what's going on it feels like very foreboding. There's no way, even if it was my last year at school and I was feeling nostalgic, there's no way I'd go back there after that. <laughs> I don't think, like, even in my creepy, like, even in my heart, with my heart being very spooked and always thinking that everything is paranormal, even if I could somehow convince myself that it wasn't a paranormal thing, I'd be really worried that there was some kind of crazed evil person in the wood that was going to kill me when I was asleep I've seen too many like slasher films to, to, to that would be my to big sleep f- comfortably <laughs> that would be my
0: big fear as well and literally as I was reading that I was thinking about how if it's not paranormal it's still as scary yeah because it's a real person that has done that with such rage and is warning you never to come back
1: and it was the pacing as well is
0: um I don't like that at all
1: no I've it just it feels very dark dark paranormal
0: do you think Mm. and I'd wonder about and I'd I'd imagine in lots of remote wooded areas weird shit happens and I don't mean just paranormal like I think that it's perfect isn't it because if you're in a woods you can have as much private space as you need and you are also alerted to people coming because you're always going to hear them walking through the woods so I think weird shit probably does happen in woods
1: and it's very hard to find your way back if you don't know where you're going yes so it's easy to do something and then People not be able to fight necessarily find what you've done for a long period of time. Do you know what I mean? Yes, so obviously, those guys knew the way to their campsite, and so did whatever it was that messed with it. But then when they left it, it became overgrown. So that, like, they're the only people that knew where that was. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't like it was public knowledge, it's not or, like a public campsite or something like that. Yeah,
0: or a regularly used campsite mm. for like hikers or whatever.
1: And I think that's why there's so much strange stuff that goes on in the woods because it is very. There's a good a sense of anonym, anonymity to it that if you know, you can know and you know where something is because you take markers, visual markers yourself, and you see the route. But if you're looking blindly in an area of woods for something, it's very hard to come across it. So there's that sort of. But I'm, oh yeah, it feels it feels paranormal. Like the the chair just sounded very paranormal to me, just being upright in the tree,
0: forty feet in the air. Yeah. fuck that.
1: Because if you like, if you're a human, you launch it, don't you? And yes, you could probably get it stuck in the tree, <laughs> but not like not like stuck in no. a tree
0: that it's going to be there a year later yeah. still sitting no, there.
1: No, absolutely not, and not in that position.
0: Weird. And story number four comes from Claire. I live in the west part of France. And ten years ago I had a summer job on the historical museum of my city and I worked as an archivist. I was really thrilled since I was starting my studies in archaeology that September. I was really enthusiastic about my job and my manager let me wander in the museum when it closed for the public and luckily some researchers let me look closely and even touch some of the artefacts. The museum was in an old 19th century manor house. On my wanderings, I always ended up in the room full of objects that belonged to the family, which gave the name to the museum. A portrait in there always caught my eye. It was the one of the Lady of the Manor. I spent many hours in there, but I always had that feeling that I was being followed or watched in that particular room. The atmosphere thickened sometimes and I suddenly had goosebumps. I was always scared to look behind me. But I don't know why I was attracted to this peculiar place. I spent so much time there just observing this portrait and some of the old objects and on my last day of work I took a postcard of the lady's portrait as a souvenir. I pinned it to my bedroom wall and after that I always felt like I wasn't alone. Some nights I jumped out of my bed because something would touch my arm or my head and I began to hear whispering in my room. I didn't sleep a lot. It didn't seem to be a negative energy but I felt like it followed me and was trying to reach out to me. After weeks and weeks of bad sleep I just lost it and I yelled at my room just leave me alone. And it stopped. Just like that. Nowadays when I'm visiting my parents I always avoid my old bedroom because sometimes when I have to sleep there it's like this thing is standing next to my bed.
1: I, for the longest time would have love to have been an archivist or working in a museum but i was neither blessed with organization nor patience (laughs) and i never materialized
0: i think you've got great patience but the organization might be a bit of an issue
1: i think it's more um maybe diligence was the word i was looking for rather than patience like i haven't got the um the follow through to get anything completed so it takes quite an element of study to to be able to do something like that and i uh you know what I'm like when I lose interest in something (laughs) but that is such a cool job I would just love to be able to walk around museums after closing hours and get like insider information and stuff like that That's very cool do you know
0: what this story reminded me of?
1: Night at the museum?
0: no (laughs) the anguished man ooh do you remember that painting that is like haunted and horrible
1: yeah yeah I don't think I would want anything to follow me
0: no, I wouldn't either. I would <laughs> find it very disturbing.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. i it's, it's funny that, you know, it just, it just took Claire saying, I want you to go. And it went, but there's still vibes in that room.
0: But it makes me feel like it wasn't something really negative and dark. That it, she was probably right, that it was something that was just trying to connect with her. Like whether it was yeah. the lady of the manor or whatever, it was just trying to connect with her.
1: It makes you wonder, doesn't it? About how many misconnections we've had.
0: Oh, I can't even think about that because then you think <laughs> any any noise or bang or footsteps or whatever that you think you heard, you're like, oh, was that was that the time? Was that a misconnection? Fuck that. Yeah. And our final story today comes from Christy. In early 2011, I was pregnant with my first child. Things were going well and my husband and I were going to all the typical baby classes, touring hospitals and preparing for our daughter. Pregnancy gave me strange dreams, but the weirdest one happened around 30 weeks pregnant. Everything was fine in my dream. I was in a place I knew, although it looked kind of different. It seems that that is typical for dreams, as I've heard you mention before on other episodes. Suddenly a man came into the apartment I was in and attacked me. When I woke up in the dream, I discovered that the man had put a silver metal zipper on my stomach. It went from my sternum to my pelvic bone. I remember feeling terrified and not knowing why this person had done that and in my dream I was still pregnant but I was so afraid that I would unzip and the baby would fall out. I just chalked it up to a strange pregnancy dream and went on with my day to day. Fast forward two weeks and I was 32 weeks pregnant and having horrible abdominal cramps. Being first-time parents my husband and I thought it was Braxton Hicks. So we tried lots of at-home ways to remedy those and would have continued on that way but I started to vomit. That was when my husband insisted we go to the hospital and at that point I was afraid I was in labour. We spent about six hours at the hospital while they monitored my daughter. She was absolutely fine and they ran lots of blood work and imaging tests on me to try and figure out why I was in such pain. At this point I was being sick regularly and I was actually physically sweating from the near constant pain. The doctor decided to transport me via ambulance to another hospital because they believed I would get better care there. Once we arrived, the new doctor told me he could do tests but in his opinion he thought I was in trouble and wanted my consent for emergency exploratory surgery. Thankfully, this surgeon was correct. My intestines had become twisted behind my expanding uterus and lost blood flow. The pain was because my intestines were literally dying. According to the doctor, had they waited even an hour more, myself and my daughter would have died. But here's the thing I was still pregnant. They were able to do all the surgery without disturbing my daughter in the uterus, so they tucked her back in and closed me up. I was in the hospital for a few weeks afterwards in lots of pain, and it wasn't until I got home and looked at my disfigured abdomen that I remembered my dream from weeks before. There I stood, looking in the mirror at about 50 thick silver medical staples from my sternum to my pelvis, with my baby still inside. It looked exactly like a zipper, and it looked exactly like my dream.
1: That is just baffling. I love stuff like that. Firstly, because obviously it's got a positive ending, which is what you want in that kind of situation. But it's so premonition-like, isn't it? So weird. It was a zipper that she had in her dream there was an element of panic and worry to it and then in real life she had panic and worry which led to staples that looked like a zipper
0: yeah and the worry that when she had surgery the baby was going to have to come out like that that was a very real worry and that the baby was going to have to be born incredibly early yeah So so weird i loved that story i read it and i was like oh that's made me feel funny
1: yeah it's just it's just it's so permanent premonitory That's a word I made up, definitely.
0: Yeah, well, we're going to keep it. We're going to keep it.
1: <laughs> and it's just, it, it's just like there's a fine level of detail to it that just makes it just blows your mind. I think like you saw my reaction as you got to that point, and I was just like, whoa, uh, yeah,
0: incredible. I think there's a, you know, you get that like prickly, hot feeling of realization. Mm. I can imagine her looking in the mirror, and I suppose it's the first. You don't really have full length mirrors in a lot of hospitals, so it's probably the first time she would have yeah. seen herself and then gone oh fuck this looks exactly like my dream and I wonder would you get that like I wonder did you get that really prickly hot feeling of realisation because that's what I was imagining when I was reading it
1: I don't feel like mirrors are very common at all in hospitals actually I feel like you might get a face mirror like for shaving or just to look at your face but I don't feel like you get there wouldn't be many places where you'd get a very big mirror because there's just too many people telling you what you look like I haven't uh,
0: (laughs) I haven't spent enough time in hospitals I think to ever have noticed
1: but yeah that's just just crazy and fascinating at the same time love it
0: if you enjoyed today's episode you can find everything you need to know about us on real life ghost you can send your own spooky story to real life ghost stories podcast at gmail.com you can support us on patreon where for five dollars a month or two dollars a month you get access to heaps of extra content and that is patreon.com forward slash real life ghost stories and on that note we shall see you next week bye